0: Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you for joining me today. Let's get rolling. I am more of a baker. I can cook all right if I try it out, but, and I don't know why, because this has literally never happened. I am just terrified that whatever I try to cook will somehow blow up or catch on fire. But mostly blow up. I remember the first time I made a proper chicken. I was so pleased that it went well and was delicious, by the way, and it's very possible that I've subconsciously used that chicken the one time I cooked chicken properly as the excuse that I never need to do it again because once was enough in my life. No need to tempt fate and uh, destroy my my one and a win right now. <laughs> Luckily, however, and this might get me into cooking in the future, there are some styles of cooking that do, in fact, require. Setting something on fire. And I'm not talking about roasting marshmallows here. I'm talking today about the wok. About 2,000 years ago during the Han Dynasty in China, it's believed that the wok was invented. The word wok comes from a Cantonese word that means cooking pot. There are a couple of theories as to how or why it was invented. One theory is that there was a shortage of food during that time in the Han Dynasty, and by using a wok, a variety of foods could be cooked using the same ingredients with very little oil. Another theory suggests that because some tribes would travel large distances, they needed cookware that was easy to pack and large enough to cook food for the entire tribe. For example, the Mongols, a group of nomads in Central Asia, were known to travel with the wok and they would introduce it to people and cultures that they met along the way of their travels. One more theory is that there was a shortage of oil during the Han Dynasty and by cooking in a wok, people could use very little oil to cook the food that they needed. The circular design of the bottom of the wok also allows for more even distribution of heat. There are similar pans that have been found in India, in the Southeast, and Southeast Asia as well, outside of China. In other areas of the world, there is a similar pan that's called a koali Some of the first seen examples of the wok were in pottery models in pottery model kitchens on Han Dynasty tombs. Initially, the wok was used to dry grains. It wasn't until the Ming Dynasty that it became popular for stir-fry. If you're using a wok, it's possible that you'll use a utensil called a chan, which is a spatula, or a hook a ladle. These typically have long handles so as to protect you from the intense heat by cooking in the wok. In the West, the bottoms of wok pans are sometimes flattened so that it can fit onto a stove top. If you wanted to still use a traditionally round bottomed wok, which is kind of a bit more effective for cooking, you could get a wok ring that would allow you to cook on the rounded pan on a flat stove. Woks are typically made of either carbon, steel, or cast iron. Many cooks are split on which is the better material. Some of the main factors are as follows. Carbon steel woks are lighter and therefore a little bit easier to maneuver, but because of the carbon steel, they are somewhat more difficult to season. Depending on the wok, some cast iron woks can be only just a little bit thicker than carbon steel woks, but the weight can make a difference, especially when trying to use frying or bow techniques. So let's talk a little bit more about cooking with a wok. There is a method called walk he or walk hey. I'm still not entirely sure how to pronounce it. I did look it up. I'm not sure I've got it right. Walk he which translates to breath of wok. And out of the eight culinary traditions of China, this one is most recognized as being used in Cantonese cuisine, although in some other Chinese cuisines, it may, in fact, not even be recognized as a principle of cuisine. So it kind of just depends. The hei was introduced to Western audiences by Grace Young. The term hei or wakhei uh, is defined a bit differently from cook to cook. It's been translated as breath of the wok, as a harmony of tastes, or even the taste of the wok, as explained in the essay, Wok Hei, the breath of a wok. The wok hay is then kind of defined as the very essence or the taste that comes with using a wok to cook. The intense heat and the high flame cooked while being tossed quickly over and over and over again over the high heat, all of it contributes to a very specific taste. And when we say high heat, we mean high heat, as the ideal temperature is about 200 degrees Celsius or 392 degrees Fahrenheit. Other countries in Asia have woks or their own version of a wok. In Indonesia, a pan that is similar to the wok is called pengorangan or wajan. In the Philippines, the wok is called kawali in Tagalog and talyasi in kampang pangan. I apologize, I'm doing my best with the pronunciation. In Malaysia, a small wok is called koali while a larger wok is called a kawa. In Japan, the wok is called chukunabi, which translates to Chinese pot. Now, I wanted to take another moment to talk about a woman who is credited with popularizing northern Chinese cuisine in the United States, and that would be the one and only Joyce Chen. Or Liao Chee. She also coined the term pecking raviolis for pot stickers. She is also the inventor and patenter of the flat bottomed wok, which is the one that we use for our flat stove tops over in the US, also known as the stir fry pan. She was an incredible chef, author, TV personality, entrepreneur, and restaurateur. She even has her own stamp from the US Postal Service. Born in Beijing, China in 1914 during the Republican era under Sun Yat sen, she was the youngest of nine children. Her family was wealthy, and her father was a high-ranking Qing dynasty official. This meant that when she was younger, the family had a cook. That cook eventually left for a family friend, started working with them, however, which left her mother and the governess to cook meals, while Liao Chae, or Joyce Chen, watched. Chen and her husband left Shanghai in 1949 as communists were taking over government and they moved from Shanghai to Cambridge, Massachusetts with their two children. Her then husband, Thomas Chen, worked in importing fine art and Chen herself was a housewife, which was a significant shift as she had previously had a job as an insurance broker in China, which was also unusual. It wasn't normal for a woman to be an insurance broker in China at the time, but Joyce Chen was. Chen started thinking of expanding her cooking when she received feedback that the pumpkin cookies and the Chinese egg rolls that she had made for a bake sale had sold out in under an hour with requests that she make more. This was at a bake sale in 1957. By this point, she had three children. Chen had adapted some of her recipes to fit more American tastes and had even figured out ways to source ingredients that were difficult to find in the United States, or she would find substitutes that would work. In 1958, Chen opened her first restaurant, Joyce Chen Restaurant, in Cambridge. In her restaurant, Chen innovated like crazy. To help with the language barrier for English and Chinese-speaking staff and customers, Chen introduced the practice of numbering menu items. She also pioneered opening an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet to allow customers to try unfamiliar dishes. The buffet boosted sales on slow Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. Chen introduced Mandarin and Changhainese dishes to her customers, which included pecking duck, hot and sour soup, pot stickers, and mushu pork. In 1966, Chen and her husband divorced. She sold him the restaurant, and it took a bit of time before she could open another one. But in 1967, she opened the Joyce Chen small eating place. It was between Harvard and MIT and became a popular eatery with lines waiting to get in. It also happened to be a popular eating space for computer hackers. Here, she introduced northern styles of dim sum and soup dumplings, or Longbao. While this restaurant only sat 60 people and closed in 1988, her third restaurant seated 500 people and opened in 1969. Chen opened her fourth and fifth restaurants in 1973 and 1975. Chen was an incredible and warm host who interacted with her guests frequently, developing many relationships. In 1960, Chen began teaching Chinese cooking classes at a local community center, and in 1962, she published her cookbook, The Joyce Chen Cookbook. Because Chen insisted on publishing her book with colorized photos of her food, she had to publish it privately and paid the expenses herself. She initially sold 6,000 copies, and later a publisher picked it up and sold an additional 70,000. In 1967, Chen started her own cooking show, Joyce Chen Cooks. She filmed on the same set as Julia Child's The French Chef. Julia Childs was a fan of Chen's cooking and visited her often. Chen's show aired in the U.S. and eventually in the U.K. and Australia as well. Because Chen often used substitutes in her food that were readily available in American stores and markets, she was also often criticized for simplifying the recipes and using adaptations. Chen spent hours with voice coaches in an effort to improve her pronunciation of English. Her program received an award from Reader's Digest, but eventually failed to gain sponsorship and ended with only 26 episodes. It has since been replayed, though, several times. Chen and her children traveled around the world for a bit after that, including a trip to China in 1972 where her son, Stephen, made a documentary with some footage. Following the viewership of the film, however, the Chen family's home was broken into in 1973. It's believed that the home invaders were people who had seen the documentary, which had aired on PBS, as Joyce Chen's China. In 1971, Chen patented a number of pieces of Chinese cookware, including the wok that we've talked about, which she named the Peking wok, and also bottled sauces and different seasonings as well. In 1976, Chen dropped a bottle of her soy sauce and severely injured her hand and was never able to fully recover her hand, unfortunately. A few years later, she began to forget the numbers of vendors and eventually was diagnosed with multi-infarct dementia in 1985, although some have also said that she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Her son, Stephen, took care of her until 1992 when she was moved to a nursing home. She later passed away in 1994. Following her death, her daughter Helen and son Stephen took over her business and restaurants, and her eldest son Henry managed and owned Joyce Chen Unlimited until his death. Chef Ming Tsai called Joyce Chen the Chinese Julia Child and said, quote, Joyce Chen helped elevate what Chinese food was about. She didn't dumb it down. She opened people's eyes to what good Chinese could taste like. Close quote. Her contribution to the history of Chinese and Chinese cuisine in America has been celebrated and recognized by the New York Historical Society. Her story has been illustrated in a children's book, and the U.S. Postal Service celebrated her contributions as a chef with a postal stamp. Talk about a woman who constantly innovated, constantly grew, and was very passionate about her interests and her loves and shared them with the world. And she brought many of us amazing memories with food. So... That's it for this week. Hopefully now we know a little bit more about the walk and I can comfortably set my food on fire. (laughs) I'll figure out how to do that and uh, we can be just a little bit more grateful for innovative and determined people who continue to share their passions with the world and the invention of the walk. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a great week.